0: Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio.
1: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of No Meat Athlete Radio. I am your host, Matt Frazier. Joined today by a special guest. Um, his name is Martin Rowe. He's the editor of a new book, one that I actually contributed to, called Running, Eating, and Thinking, and that's out by Lantern Books. And uh, just, I think this is going to be a little bit of a different episode. It's going to be somewhat more of a uh, philosophical, you know, perhaps ethical discussion, which is something we really don't get into that often on No Meat Athlete. We generally stick more to the, uh, you know, the nutritional aspects of it, um, but. We did a, a Gene Bauer episode and that one kind of got into some of the ethical stuff and it's kind of a good link because Gene is actually the contributor of the very first essay in this book and the book, of course, is a series of 15 essays. So, Martin, thank you so much for, for joining us today.
0: Thank you very much, Matt, for having me. So,
1: let's just get into the uh, talking about the book here. I mean, I, I don't have a lot of plans for a really structured discussion, kind of just the nature of this topic uh it didn't seem like uh that would be the, the best way to do things. So, you know, I have a few different questions here that I wanted to ask you about, but really I think we should just let the conversation go where it will and uh we'll see what comes up. So, what I want to talk about first is is just kind of the origins of the book and where it came from. You mentioned in I believe in the introduction to the to the book itself that there was a book called Cooking, Eating and Thinking that influenced you quite a bit even in your decision to become vegan and uh I just kind of wanted to hear about that like in what way did that book Influence you to become vegan because that was I was definitely curious about that it wasn 't obvious from the title that that would be a book about veganism and uh, and then kind of what you know what the link is between that and and this this newest sort of iteration running eating and thinking
0: right so cooking eating thinking, which is an anthology of philosophical art, articles and essays and reflections poems as well about food, came out in one thousand nine hundred and ninety two it was edited by Dwayne. Curtin and Lisa Heltke and was published by Indianapolis University, University of Press of uh, Indiana, Indiana University Press. And it was the first anthology that took food and philosophy seriously. And I happened to be writing a master's thesis at the time on the Bible and food and animals. And I found it very, very interesting and instructive as to how to perhaps think about food Philosophically, up until then, uh, food had generally been a subject that philosophers stayed away from because it was associated with the life of the body and the needs and demands of the body. And the true philosopher, of course, was mon- uh, was interested in the life of the mind. And this anthology really said, no, there is not only something philosophical, philosophically important to be said about food, but that food is a locus of uh, locus of other very important issues surrounding who we are as human beings. And some of the articles in the piece, for instance, there was an excerpt from The Sexual Politics of Meat by Carol Adams. There was also a piece by Peter Singer, the author of Animal Liberation, really sort of guided me towards thinking seriously about food philosophically and then, of course, uh, to make a decision to live that philosophy in my life by becoming a vegan so that was a very influential book for me, and I kind of had it at the back of my mind. And then when I became a runner in 2007 and began to think about running, I actually sort of on a hunch returned to the volume, Cooking, Eating, Thinking, and began to wonder if there wasn't some connection between running and being a vegan that could do the same thing that Cooking, Eating, Thinking did. And what I found so fascinating about Cooking, Eating, Thinking is at the very outset of the book, the editors say, listen, we don't know if this is a thing, philosophy of food, but we think it's a thing. Uh, Most anthologies are gathered to celebrate a pre-existing philosophical or literary or other tradition, and you gather all of the great and the good together, and you say this is the sum of our discipline. But, said the editors of Cooking, Eating, Thinking, we don't have that. We're just speculating that this might be some, there might be some interesting connections here. And since the book came out in 1992, and there was then all this incredible interest and growth of interest in veganism, in community-supported agriculture, in green markets, in slow food, and the whole sort of foodie sort of revolution that took place following that, I wondered... I don't know if there's a thing between veganism and running. I don't know if there's anything more that that could be said about it other than you can be perfectly healthy and be a vegan. You can be a great vegan and a great runner and all of the nutritional aspects of it. Was there a further philosophical or sociological or anthropological a set of ideas that we could associate with running and thinking so i put this idea to a bunch of people including yourself and um and jean bauer and James McWilliams, and colleen patrick goudreau and jasmine singer and a whole host of other runners and said what do you think and the result is running eating thinking it's a speculative anthology that hopefully like cooking eating thinking in its own particular way will stimulate further ideas and thoughts about the connection between Running and veganism.
1: Excellent. All right, and it's it's really a fascinating book to me. Uh, Just just looking at it as a whole, um, partly because I know a lot of the names, and I do want to say a few of them on here because um, many of them are people who I've mentioned or interacted with many times on my site. So I just so that people don't get the idea that this is you know some out there philosophical thing that has has no bearing on what mostly what no meat athlete is about. But we've mentioned Gene Bauer, Colleen Patrick-Goudreau. Uh, Ellen Jaff Jones, I believe she wrote uh, a paleo vegan book recently, um, Eat Vegan on $4 a Day or something of that nature. Cassandra Greenwald, who I actually just talked to yesterday, she's a member of uh, the No Meat Athlete Academy, a membership site, and uh, she shocked me by telling me that she was also in this book, and I and I looked at it and, and realized that there she was. Um, JL Fields from JL Goes Vegan, who hosted me in uh, Colorado Springs at, at my for my book tour and just Treated me to a wonderful time there. I did a trail run with her husband um, up the incline. Jasmine Singer, host of Our Hen House, uh, very well-known. Scott Spitz, who is a great vegan runner and uh, actually helped me out with the marathon roadmap by contributing an interview. Um, I think he's around a 225 marathoner or something. Um, and, of course, Martin Rowe yourself, as well as I think you know the, the five or six people who I didn't even list here um, who I probably haven't yet ever mentioned on No Meat Athlete. So it's just really a neat collection, and I think the idea, as you mentioned, is is one where there really is. You know, I think it is a thing. I think there is something to it, and I'm not sure that that thing. I kind of wonder if that thing is different for everyone. So maybe that makes it not a thing. But well, uh, it's,
0: the, the the great thing about cooking, eating, thinking was it said you can talk about food in many, many different ways. I mean, food at one point is just the thing you put in your body. On another level, it's also about the family. It's also about religion. It's also about culture. It's also about food justice, where you can get your food, whether you can get your food, what's expensive, what isn't expensive. And so veganism is also multifaceted. Mm -hmm. And as I try and argue in the introduction, and as I think other people argue in the introduction, running too has its sort of different dimensions. Do you do it for health? Do you do it to clear your mind? Do you do it to um, stave off? Illness. Do you do it for um, the 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 wish to be outside in nature? Do you do it because, and some people argue this in the book, that it connects you to your animal body, the animal that wants to be free, the animal that wants to breathe clean air, the animal that wants to run, as as our animal bodies want to do, to be to be unshackled and freed from the confinements, for instance, of a factory farm. So there are many different ways of thinking about running and thinking about veganism. And I wanted to encapsulate that. The other thing to mention about the contributors is, I mean, obviously we know about the super athletes that are out there that are doing incredible uh, endurance feats. Uh, You know, Scott Jurek and and Rich Roll and Brendan Brazier and a whole host of others, including other people who are, were not runners necessarily, but incredibly super athletes. And that's terrific. But I wanted to show relatively ordinary people, people who didn't necessarily... Complete triathlons or Ironman or do um, ultra endurance or even marathons, but who just ran and they were ordinary runners uh, and not necessarily super fit or buff, but just regular people, Uh, and that regular people could also think about the process of being a vegan and of being a runner. Right. So what I think this book is really, and
1: this it's it. I haven't read all the essays yet. I've read three or four of them, Um, but for me this is kind of the bridge uh between this way of thinking about veganism just from that the facet you mentioned of you know the thing that you do for health and you may have an ethical inclination but the way you think about it day to day at least for me is is in terms of health and i mean ethics, ethical reasons were my actual you know my main motivation for becoming vegetarian and then vegan but day to day you know i'm not a, i don't consider myself an activist i don't think about those issues all the time. I think about what I'm eating and is it healthy and all these different things. So I would imagine that most of the No Meat Athlete audience uh, is a similar way just because you know, that's probably why they've been attracted to my writing because we have that in common. But always on my list to read has been – and my list to read, of course, is, is enormous as I'm sure yours is too and everybody else's is – is like a, a real a book, a Peter Singer book, you know, something The Ethics of Veganism and just to really understand those arguments and get into those but it's something that i just can't get to it's like it's one of those things on my list that always tends to get pushed down because it doesn't feel like an urgent priority for me to to learn about um the ethical arguments you know i'm i'm already here i am vegan already i'm i'm convinced but i think what this book could be for a lot of people is the in between here because there's such an overlap with the running for some people that really is what it's about you know just the health and the running and the benefits um and there are a lot of people in here who while that's not the topic of their essay necessarily uh who are, are definitely in that camp and myself included. So I think it's just a really neat bridge between those two areas, those two particular facets of veganism.
0: Yeah, and I actually think there's a third one, which is which is the notion that one that these ideas, that what we do, which might now seem to us completely automatic, you know, I'm a vegan for health and that's 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 what I do, and then I run and that's what I do. You begin to think about them. You think about them both. So it's the thinking is a sort of the third dimension as well as thinking about running and thinking about eating. It's the fact that we can bring consciousness to our practices, whether it's running or it's eating uh, vegan food. I mean, Gene Bauer is an interesting one because he comes, of course, from an ethical perspective because he runs Farm Sanctuary, and, and for him, the, the, the life of animals on factory farms is the overarching aspect. But he began as a runner. You know, he used to run in the, hills, uh, um, in the Hollywood Hills when he lived in L.A. as a kid, and he did some sort of athletics at college, but he didn't start running seriously until he was in his late 40s. <laughs> and the running itself sort of reignited his wish to be as healthy as possible for the animal. So he sort of came to health. And then Gordon Harvey, who was uh, very overweight and, and, and really decided to become a vegan and a, and a runner simply because of his health, sort of rediscovered a kind of connection to other animals that he didn't even know he had. And so, you know, you can work both ways in that, which I think is which is the whole point of the anthology. And then to cab it all, Jasmine Singer, you know, is a runner who doesn't think of herself as a runner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, so she's the vegan who just happens to run, but doesn't conceptualize herself as a runner. So even thinking about running means thinking about, am I a runner? So it's sort of an interesting set of ideas that coalesce in this volume.
1: Yeah. That last point, the last point is kind of interesting. I hadn't, Really thought of it that way before, um, and and that's not that unrelated from from mine. I mean, the the title of mine is what it means to be a runner, and it actually is the the post that I wrote in the wake of the Boston Marathon bombings last year that they ended up using in this book. Um, I actually originally had written something else that was it was kind of I don't know arduous I guess would be the word for it. I, I just had trouble writing it. Uh, it was kind of a link linking the whole philosophy of minimalism uh, to both running and eating because that that very much has. Pervaded my life. Like since I became vegan, I've become more minimalist in my food, in my running, in in my possessions, and all those things. Which is a totally unrelated topic and not one that I think is is worth going into right now. Um, I don't want to get too far off track from the the identity as a runner issue. Uh, and that's, you know, it's something like with other sports, there doesn't seem to be that. Like, you know, there's not a big thing. You don't have a hundred articles on the internet by bloggers who say. I'm not really a tennis player, even though I play tennis, but with running, it's like everyone says that, or everyone at least has has had that little mental battle in their head and decided that, that they're on this side of the line, either they're not a runner or they are, and I, for a very long time, felt like I was not, even when I had qualified for the Boston Marathon. I remember it was only after that, and this was seven years or so into running, and six marathons later, that I you know, finally started to feel like I belonged when I was at the start line of a marathon. I felt like I wasn't just an imposter in all these other people's sport here trying to, to do my own thing. So it's kind of interesting, like that that sense of identification with this group, being a runner, uh, is really, it just strongly resembles what you think about of being a vegan and the sense of identity that there is in, in your food choices or whatever you're, I'm a paleo or I'm a vegetarian, or whatever the, the group is that you belong to there's definitely a strong sense of identity there uh, as as there is with running
0: right well there you are there's a, a, a connection there which is about the mind that you bring to your task and i think one of the uh, interesting sort of sub lines of thinking that take place throughout this book is feeling authentic about what one does you know veganism of course, has a certain set of criteria that define veganism. But I think a lot of people, when they start out being a vegan, want to be a vegan but don't want to be called a vegan because somehow they feel they have to sort of have some secret handshake or they have to belong to a particular club, that it's hard and that it's difficult and it requires sacrifice. And the same thing is with running. I mean, when we started running, immediately you, you, you start to look at your times and you begin to think, oh, I could run fast, I could do this, and you start to engage in this, but I'm not really authentically that until I've done a 5K or a 10K or a half marathon or a full marathon or an ultramarathon. And you start setting these ideas in your mind about what it means to be a true this. And I think that's all part and parcel of, of what I would call conscientization, which is raising the consciousness of what one does. Of course, there's a lot of, you know, beating up yourself that you're not a good enough vegan, that you're not Mm -hmm. a good enough runner. But I think the point of these essays is to say, listen, why do you do what you do? Bring consciousness to what you do. And in the process, you will release yourself from those boundaries and barriers that stop you from being the best vegan or the best runner that you can be. And a lot of it is about getting over those hurdles that you set up for yourself. And Jean Bowers is very much like that. And Catherine Burlow's piece, which is about how she runs in the hills around her home, which are very beautiful, but they also are, everywhere she looks are factory farms and places where animals are being uh, slaughtered. And she uses the ideas of Thich Nhat Hanh, the Buddhist, uh, Vietnamese Buddhist monk, who uses a lot of ideas about consciousness in walking meditation. And she transfers the walking meditation to the running meditation. So she tries to bring peace to every running step that she makes and tries to think about the animals in that situation and try and sort of breathe with them as she runs along. So for her, the spiritual practice of being a vegan and being a runner goes um, hand in hand or foot in foot or whatever it would be (laughs) as as she moves through the day. So again, it's about consciousness. It's about feeling good as we run and feeling good as we eat and being healthy in mind and body. So I think awesome. the book really does bring those ideas together.
1: Yeah, and it's fun. Catherine's is, is the next one that I'm going to read. I was skimming through today trying to decide which one to do next, and uh, I'm currently actually rereading uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's book, The Miracle of Mindfulness, and I have read his pieces every step, and uh, just like it didn't when I first glanced through it, didn't realize that she had, had I guess, studied under him or whatever, it's, I don't know. Well, what she's I'm... read a lot of
0: his work. But what she does is she just transposes. instead of where it says walk or step. <laughs> right. She says run. And yeah. Play. And for her, it's a way of running consciously and and relieving herself of the necessity of being perfect. And I think that's something that we all need to recognize. You know, we're never unless we are superhuman, we're never going to be the best runner in the world, you know, and veganism, we're never going to be perfect vegans. There's animal products in everything we do. There's animal products in the roads that we run on, you know, so in both of these senses, veganism and running is a journey. It's about being present to what you do. It's about disciplining and training the body and the mind to be as open and conscious as it possibly can be. And it's also about protecting the animal body, whether that animal body is your own, because we're all animals, or the animal body is the other animals, whom we don't eat, uh, we don't wear, and we uh, try and release from their confinement.
1: Great. Great. So okay. yeah, yeah, I okay. highly, highly recommended this book. Um, it's it's just I don't know. I mean, it's an it's an approachable book, uh, you know, approachable philosophy ethics book for someone who is who's just a Naomi athlete fan, you know, not Hasn't really thought too much about that stuff, um, which is why it's it's great for me too. <laughs> so, um, in the, I don't know what the name of it is, the the, uh, you know, promotional. Uh, all right. I don't even know the name of the the technical industry term. Help me out here, Martin. The, the thing that you send around to radio stations or whoever's going to be interviewing you with some I'd sample questions.
0: Oh yeah, the sample questions and answers. Yeah. There we go.
1: Yeah, I had to do one of those for my book, and I have, I guess I've blocked out that part of my past. <laughs> it's traumatic. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway um you wrote something there that I thought is really interesting and it was the idea that there are a lot too many really vegan athletes out there not just athletes but vegans who think of it as um something that's going to guarantee wellness and guarantee health and and you know the cancer proof diet and you know it's it's okay to think of it that way fine but i j- i just it kills me when people Try to use that as the way to spread the message and, and try to convince people that this is the case. Um, I just, I just like you to talk a little bit more about that and like what you've seen. I mean, I know I've seen several examples in some of the the big magazines and things like that. That uh, they just rub me the wrong way. It's just you know the the big bolded font either on the cover or inside the magazine, the the big pulled quote from the article. You know how how you know how how someone asking how is my case of of uh. Where my cancer was cured by me eating a a raw foods vegan diet, how is that not proof that this that this diet does that? And I mean, you know, any scientist seeing that is going to say, well, of course that's not that's not what proof is. That that's an n equals one sample. That it doesn't it doesn't count. And I mean, it, it's totally anecdotal. And I, and I think that when the message starts to be spread that way, and when so many people start spreading a message like that, and not just with veganism, with any sort of cause that that they're trying to spread. It it kind of starts it perpet you know it, I'm not not really phrasing this correctly but it it just gives people the wrong idea and people start to think of it oh it's just some sort of cult and it's some sort of crazy thing where they have these weird beliefs and I think it actually hurts the cause when people spread the message in that way so can you just talk a little bit about about some of that and why that was something you felt was important to mention in in the Q and A stuff.
0: Yes, I mean, I, want, I come from it from a slightly different perspective, which is I can completely understand how somebody who has been given a terrible diagnosis and has a terrible prognosis, you know, is going to want to cling on to the magic pill or the magic diet or the magic lifestyle or set of activities that will rescue them from that position. And that when they recover, they then place all of their uh, beliefs and um sense of relief, great relief from a condition of of great uh, despair on this particular pill or diet or lifestyle or activity. So I can understand the the need for that. And I can understand how when somebody is given a diagnosis and a a difficult prognosis, they are going to look for absolutely everything, anything to help them get over that. So I fully understand why, how attractive it is to feel that there is one thing that you can do that will rescue you from that position. I think it's a Sure. A very human, a very human uh, desire and need and not in any way confined to, you know, uh, running or veganism. No, but I think it does this, as I think, as you say, because it, it forgets the fact that uh, just as we are, you know, whole beings with many different aspects to our uh, being alive. So there are many different ways that one can get sick and many different Factors that make one sick as well as make one well and that generally as I'm sure you uh, have said many times, you know, running and a healthy lifestyle and going vegan will will be more likely to reduce certain illnesses in the future and be more likely to sustain positive health in -hmm. the future overall. But I actually want to make wanted to make it very clear in the anthology by putting Scott Spitz's piece in there. Scott Spitz is currently undergoing treatment for cancer. His piece in in Running, Eating, Thinking is a very frank reflection of the immediate days following his diagnosis. And he's still undergoing treatment for cancer. And he was, as you said, a 225 athlete, a young man, very fit, very healthy, and yet he has a cancer diagnosis. And my piece at the very end is about my friend, And the friend of Vegans Everywhere, Rin Berry, who died early this year from a heart attack in Prospect Park when he was running around it, age 68, Mm -hmm. and who had long, long argued that, you know, veganism and running were going to keep him alive forever. He didn't say forever, but he he, he made large claims about veganism and running that, that, um, you know, and he had a sudden heart attack and fell unconscious. So, you know, these things happen, and I think we need to be honest about them. I think it's a very human tendency. And I think you're right. I think we do a disservice to the animals. We do a disservice to our, the need to get people to live more holistically and to shift to a vegan diet, Uh, a disservice when we talk about the the idea that they will, you know, you will live forever and you will never, you'll never not um, uh, be healthy with it. I mean, Ellen Jaffe Jones's piece, I think is a powerful response to a terrible uh, situation in her family where her sisters and many members, female members of the family were dying of breast cancer and getting terrible illnesses and that she decided that genes were not destiny in her case. And so she uh, became a vegan and and a runner and a superb runner and has so far staved off those conditions. And I can totally understand why she would be evangelical about that and mm-hmm. really want to commit people to doing that. One of our authors, Ruth Heidrich, who blurb the book and, of course, is, you know, an extraordinary example of health and uh, longevity, having survived breast cancer in the 1980s. You know, she is passionate about veganism and, and uh, endurance sports. And again, I can totally understand where she um, stands and uh, support her in all her work but i think we need to be as honest as possible about either running or becoming a vegan as a panacea
1: yeah and I, I i do i do agree with you i mean i think i think you're right it is human nature to uh to want to assign the the credit you know the credit or the blame to something that uh that was present you know and at that the whole idea of causation not necessar- or correlation not necessarily causation Um, And and our nature as humans is to is to assign that credit. And and, and, uh, in no way am I saying that I don't think a plant based diet can can definitely reduce the incidence of disease long term. But uh, I think I I agree. I think it's just something that we need to be scientific about and be open minded about and uh, just be fair about when when spreading the message.
0: Right. I mean, the other thing about a plant-based diet is because a plant-based diet would use fewer chemicals. Presumably, if it was an organic plant-based diet, it would use less water, which would mean there would be more water to drink. There there are other ways that the planet would be healthier, and therefore we would be healthier if we adopted a plant-based diet. So the human health argument extends to planetary health, which then affects human health in ways that we do not know yet. I mean, yep. it was surrounded by plastics, was, sound, was surrounded by petroleum-based products that cause us harm, particulate matter of all sorts. So who knows how they might be changed to the benefit of human and animal health and planetary health if we adopted a plant-based diet. Sure. So, all right. So on the
1: topic of Ruth Heydrich, who you mentioned at the end there, I did want to bring up your the book that you co-wrote with her called Lifelong Running, because I had hoped when uh, we had talked about even being getting you and or her on the podcast uh, a few months ago, but it just didn't happen. So can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, I think there are a lot of people listening to this who, who that book's going to be just as interesting as Running, Eating, Thinking is.
0: Absolutely. Well, Ruth Heidrich is uh, one of the, I would call her one of the mothers of Lantern books. Her book, A Race for Life, was the first book, that we published at Lantern Books way back in, uh, I think, June 2000. And she was one of the major inspirations for my taking up running. Uh, Her sheer brio and her great passion for running and her incredible generosity in, in giving advice and encouragement about running was one of the reasons why I took it up. And then we published her book, Senior Fitness. And then as I became more and more interested in running, I said to her, well, why don't we do a book about running? And you can talk about all of the incredible benefits of running and dispel all the myths about running, especially for people who think that somehow you're going to break down at age 45 and your knees are going to go and you're you're never going to be able to get out of bed in the morning and just show that you really can do it. So she did that. And uh, I said, Ruth, I want to uh, interact with your manuscript, because if there's one thing that I think people find intimidating about you, and I think that's possibly the case with some of the other superstar ve- vegan athletes is that you are so extraordinary that you go beyond inspiration into intimidation <laughs> yeah. so people need to know that you really don't need to run four ironman triathlons in one year to be fit and healthy and that you don't need to uh be at the cooper clinic being tested for low heart rate and having the bone mass of a 40, of a, a premenopausal woman at the age of 78 and all of the incredible things that she has done and and Uh, being an inspiration i'd like to show people that you can be just a regular person and still do the things that you're talking about so that's my part in the book i sort of supplement her her work and her insights and her tips with some history about running marathons and history about the marathon itself and also some of the sort of uh uh obstacles that you come across when you start to run
1: excellent all right, so Martin, this has been great. Um, I guess in closing, I just you know what I don't want to put you on the spot here, Well, I kind of do, I guess. Um, I'm not asking you to pick a favorite because, of course, you know, there, as we've said, there are so many different aspects to this whole thing, and a, a, a different essay is going to resonate with a different person. It's it's not going to be, I don't think that there's one that that just stands out as the one. But for you, besides your own, of course, I just want to know which one, like, what's what's the one that that you thought like. Yes, there there is a thing here, because he mentioned, is there a thing earlier? Like, there is a thing, and this, for me, is it. I'm just wondering, which of the essays, like, for you really stood out as that, just to give people just a, a little bit of a, something concrete, uh, an idea as to what one of the essays is really like?
0: Well, I, I'm going to do a slightly different uh, answer to your question, but I will okay. get to your question in the end. <laughs> so uh, last year I ran the Brooklyn Marathon. It was my second time, and the Brooklyn Marathon, for anybody who doesn't know, is – is a tour of six times around the outer loop of Prospect Park in Brooklyn, in Park Slope in Brooklyn, and a free inner loop. It's around a and around and around you go. And as I, you know, stood at the line to uh, do this race, they invited a woman to give the national an- to sing the national anthem. And they, she sang the national anthem. She had a really exquisite voice, just a beautiful voice. And uh, she then got back in line, uh, towed the line with all of us, and then ran a marathon. And I thought, well, an incredible voice. So I looked her up, and her name is Lisette Oropesa. And it so happened that she was a soprano at the Metropolitan Opera, which was why her voice was so extraordinary. And lo and behold, a vegan. So I thought, she has got to be in this book. And she wrote a really beautiful piece about how she became a vegan. It was uh, initially to, to uh, lose weight and then actually it became about cost, the cost of meat, the cost of cheese and how meat, eating meat and cheese made her feel. And she also talks about breath and breath control and the breath as uh, uh, the, that she gains by running. But running doesn't make her feel out of breath. It enhances her breath. And of course, being a singer, she needs breath. And then the sound of the animals, the sounds of birds and the experience of running outside and making her feel connected to the animals that sing and howl and moo and how the the sounds that animals make were maybe one of the first reasons why we learned to sing. Maybe the first responses to singing of the animals was our singing in return. So it's a really beautiful connection that she has. And that's one of my favorite articles. It's also... Is, is a favorite of mine, because as I was running the uh, the Brooklyn Marathon, I so happened to run past a guy who was juggling three balls in the air as he ran, without dropping them. Mm-hmm. He's known as the Joggler. And guess what T-shirt he was wearing? A no-meat-athlete T-shirt. Oh, is that right? That's so fun. when I thought of putting this together, I, th- I realized there are vegan runners everywhere. We're all doing extraordinary things, whether we happen to be singing a major role at the Metropolitan Opera, or we have such good hand-eye coordination and breath control that we're running 26.2 miles while juggling three balls <laughs> in the air. And though this anthology is very much the opening, uh, the opening book, the first book in what I hope will be an incredible discussion as more and more vegans take up running, more and more runners go vegan, and more and more people who'd never thought at all about running or vegan decide to do both at the same time. Wonderful.
1: All right. So as I said, Martin, this has been great. Uh, I really enjoy this. It's definitely a change from from the typical podcast we do, and I think that's a good thing because it's it's good to mix things up now and then. And um
0: for anyone who yeah, is consider, consider so just, this a hill run. This is this is your hill run. <laughs> yeah, sprint right. run. As opposed to your uh, long-distance uh, tempo run. <laughs> exactly. So
1: for anyone who wants to check out the book, uh, and I would highly recommend that you do, the name of it, again, is Running, Eating, Thinking. It's available from Lantern Books. Um, it's available as an ebook or a physical book, so you can go online and get it or go to a store and get it, and if they don't have it, they can order it. Um, also, Martin has informed me that you can actually get it directly from Lantern Books if you want to get a physical copy. Um, give them a call anytime between 9 and 5 Eastern Standard Time. And their number is 703 661 1594. So I'll put that in the show notes, of course, so people can see it that way. Once again, Martin, thanks so much. This has been great. Thanks a lot, Matt. All right, talk to you later.